Well, good morning again, everybody. It's great to see all of you here. It's great to see so many people together, worshiping together. And I pray now um, that we can open up our minds and our hearts and we begin to learn again together. Um, we are on our second week of a seven-part series um, called Life Together. And last week we established why we need each other. And today I want to get to the real meat of why we need each other. And that is we're designed to work together for the common purpose of sharing the gospel. That's why church exists. And so if you have your Bible, and if you have this insert with you, these are going to be the notes for the day. We're going to go right through them um, with some very important uh, points and illustrations and lessons as we go through here. Here's the real reason why community is important. Here's the real reason why we're investing in our life groups. Here's the real reason why we're trying to build this sense of community here at Whiting Christian Church. It's not about the curriculum. (laughs) It's not about the things that we're going to do every week for our own social benefit, although those are wonderful side notes to why we exist in community. But the number one reason why we are equipping ourselves to have this type of authentic biblical community is because when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to making a difference in people's lives, there is power in numbers. There is strength in our connection. And we fulfill God's purpose, not only for our own lives, but in our greater lives together, when we are united, when we are together, when we are invested in that community. And so that's why community exists. And I want to share with you, to open up this morning, probably one of the most important memories I have of why community is so important and why it is so valuable. And I start with this, and this is probably the most dangerous prayer that any one of us can pray to God. It's a simple two-word prayer. God, use me. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? When we pray that, sometimes we have to be careful what we pray for, right? Sometimes God's going to expose us or present opportunities or sometimes even challenges for us. They're going to make us think, oh, wow, (laughs) this is serious now. I've really got to step out in faith. I've really got to step out of my comfort zone. And we had an experience like that two years ago. Um, Beth and I, with uh, with our life group, we took on the challenge to do something in service together. And so we got involved with an organization called Urban Plunge. I don't know if you've ever heard of this organization, but it does some amazing things in inner cities throughout the country. And I want to share with you what's going on 70 miles south of Whiting, Iowa. That's 70 miles. That's less than an hour's drive now. In a community in North Omaha, there is about a 30-block stretch where it is noted that it is the third most violent place in the country per capita. There was a time in 2010 where on 30 consecutive nights there was a homicide in this 30-block area of North Omaha. And so our small group decided that what we would like to do as a service project is we would like to partner with Urban Plunge, and we were going to spend a weekend on those streets. We were going to spend a weekend in those neighborhoods. We were going to spend a weekend with the churches down there who are trying to serve that community. And here's what we learned. The first night that we got there, we were told that we were to be back in our dorm room by 10 o'clock because they were going to be locking the gates around the facility where we were staying. Give a little idea about what the streets might look like at night in this neighborhood. The very first night that we were there... We got a chance to work with a mission who was providing after-school activities for kids. And here was their singular purpose. We want to give an opportunity for kids when they leave school, 
We want to have a place for them to have some kind of activity that is positive in their lives. The statistics were this. Less than 50% of the kids were going to graduate from high school in that neighborhood and in that area. Most of these kids did not have a relationship with their father, and pretty much all of them were living below the poverty line. So you can see the challenge that this mission was facing. And so we spent the night playing with the kids, having activities, uh, being involved in things that were helping them. It was powerful. But it only got more powerful as the next day came because that morning we woke up and we went to the Douglas County Juvenile Detention Facility. And some of the kids from that neighborhood and some of the kids from other neighborhoods in Omaha were there, and they were there because they had made some really, really bad choices. Armed robbery, attempted murder, you can go on and on down the line. And we saw what it's like to see 15-year-old kids incarcerated. And we came across a man by the name of Daryl. And Daryl was a former dealer in Omaha who, by the grace of God, got saved. And because he was saved, he had rededicated his life to Christ. And he was now spending every day that he could going back into the same streets and the same neighborhoods and the same places where he used to deal drugs. And now he is ministering to kids. And every day he was going to that facility and he was trying to reach these kids, these broken kids, these kids with all of these you know, terrible experiences in their lives, these choices that they've made that have set them up for possibly a life behind bars. And he's trying to reach them with the gospel. And when we asked him what he needed, (laughs) he said to us two things. He said, number one, he goes, I've never really been good at managing anything. And so I really could just use some help figuring out how to just manage my own checkbook so that I don't get myself into a position where I return to doing things I shouldn't do just to make some money. And the second thing he asked is, you know, my wife has always wanted just a table and four matching chairs. We, We don't have one in our house. And... It just struck us as we heard Daryl totally sold out with his faith, talking about some of the most meager things that he simply needed for himself. And here's an interesting story about Daryl. Daryl came across two Christian businessmen who had been doing some outreach work in this community in North Omaha. He ran into them, and these two men began to help sort of mentor him and guide him to help him learn how to manage, to help him learn how to kind of stay on the straight and narrow But it was a Christian influence in his life that began to change for him. And then we spent the afternoon at basically a food pantry, a soup kitchen. And I would imagine that in the course of two hours, we probably saw over 250 people coming in, coming out. And as we met each one, we got to learn their stories. We got to learn about their lives. We got to learn about what brought them here. And this sense of brokenness and this sense of despair, but yet this sense of courage like, we can, we can just get on our feet. Here's what we can do next. And then later that night, we went on a prayer walk with many other people as part of this urban plunge. And we were walking streets where kids had one time engaged in violence. And we began to pray on each street for the Spirit to just fill that street and to replace the violence with peace. And it was an unbelievable weekend. And we spent the final, that Sunday morning, worshiping in one of the churches there. And and here's what I learned about all of this, and here's what I learned very much about community. You see, community has the power to do one of two things. It has the power to perpetuate hopelessness, or it has the the power to perpetuate hope. And depending on which way things are, that can be the direction of where that community is going to go. And here's the most amazing thing, because you're not going to see this on the 10 o'clock news in Omaha, 
You're going to hear about the shootings, and you're going to hear about the drug bust, and you're going to hear about all the poverty and all of the despair. That's what makes the news. But what you're not going to hear about is that missionary that's working every night after school. People, based on their faith, are giving their careers, they're giving their lives to volunteer or to work in service at that mission. You're not going to hear about Daryl, who's very quietly, without any fanfare, going room to room, cell by cell, 10 foot by 12 foot space, reaching out to a 15-year-old kid who's lost. You're not going to hear that on the news. And you're not going to hear about the work that's getting done at this food pantry, and on and on and on. You see, one person can make a difference. Any one of us can choose to step out and do one thing and make a difference. But many people banded together make a legacy. And what I truly believe, not only at the people who were working in that after-school missionary, to to Daryl who is going around equipping other people to help these lost kids, to all of the volunteers who are making this food pantry go, their vision is this. We're going to tell a different story than the one you see on the news. We're going to write a different narrative Yeah, the challenges are great. Yeah, it seems like the odds are against us. But out of faith, because of what we believe God can do through us, we are going to submit ourselves, and we're going to try to help make a difference. That's community. That's what God has designed us to do. He designed us through our talents together to make a difference in this world. And the challenge is simply this. I'm a vision kind of person. I like to think one year out, three years out, five years out. My simple question is this. What does Whiting Community, what does Monona County, what does the broader southern Woodbury and Monona County area look like in five years because Whiting Christian Church exists? What have we done intentionally to build our community here so that we can communicate and so that we can impact the community out there? That's what it's all about. That, that little mission that started up didn't just come out of, the, out of the night sky. It was five people who got together and said, this is wrong. It's wrong that we have kids running our streets. Let's give them a place to be. And year after year, as more and more people bought into that vision, pretty soon they have a facility, pretty soon they have some financial backing, and now all of a sudden they've got a mission. And so as we invest in community, the whole point of it is simply this. We're investing in building community here so that we can make a difference out there. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And so I want to get into the message this morning by reminding us of where we were last week. Last week we learned that there are five reasons or five purposes that God created us for. He created us to walk together. He created us to work together. He created us to help each other. He created us to comfort each other when we're in need. And he created us to love each other. Now, if you missed this message last week, just go online. It should be online and available so that you can listen to. But today we're going to take that into another step. Those five purposes that God has for your life and my life cannot be fulfilled on our own. We have to have other people in our lives. We are wired for relationships. It was God from the very beginning who said, It is not good for man to be alone. He hates loneliness, and so he wants us to be in community with each other. You don't have to have a hundred close friends, but I do believe that each one of us needs three or four or five or six close friends that are really there for us. And I think one of the tragedies of our modern culture is that too many people have lots of acquaintances, 
They have lots of Facebook friends. They have lots of interactions. But they don't have anybody truly looking out for their spiritual growth. People who are really there to help them. People who are saying that they're going to be with them no matter what. We've got to rebuild that community in every person's life. So we're going to look today at how to deepen relationships because through deep relationships, we are each equipped to fulfill God's greatest purpose for each one of us. And that is for each one of us to be equipped to reach out to a lost world, a world that is in need of God's grace and God's salvation. When we take that step, when we put our faith in Christ, our lives change, our mission changes. And everything around us begins to change in our perspective. It is now about what am I doing every single day to further the kingdom of God, to bring his love, to bring his grace, and to bring his hope, and of course to bring the salvation message to the world around us. We equip ourselves by first building our community. So we're going to start this message this morning with this truth. We are each made for a mission. God wants you and God wants me to share his love with other people. He wants us to share that love with our friends, with our family, with everybody that we work with, with our neighbors, everyone. We are to show the world God's love. And so the title of this message this morning is, We're Reaching Out Together. And we're reaching out with that purpose. Love God, love our neighbor. Love God, love our neighbor. And we build that through life groups. We build that through the interactions in this church. And we build it with some of these capacities. I want to start with this. When we reach out together, the first thing it means is we pray together. There's your first note. We pray together. Colossians 4.3 says this. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Remember where Paul is writing from. A man who's been in chains much of his life proclaiming the gospel. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The first thing you do in your life group, the first thing you do if you're not in a life group but you're deepening relationships within your family, with your spouse, with your loved ones, with your neighbors, when you're interacting, one of the first things you do in those closest relationships is think about how to and who to pray for. (laughs) Praying for your friends. And especially praying for those friends who haven't stepped across that line, who haven't made that same commitment to Christ. Who do you know that is still considering the claims of Christ? Who do you know that still hasn't quite made that decision yet? Who doesn't know that relationship with Christ? You ask and you pray together. Because here's the deal. You or I can't force anybody to love God. But the one thing we can do is we can pray for them. And prayer can do what God can do. Prayer can melt hard hearts. Prayer can warm up cold hearts. Prayer can activate and arouse apathetic hearts. And I believe prayer can change stubborn hearts. So when we gather in groups, when we gather in life groups to pray, what are we supposed to pray about? Remember Colossians 4.3. Pray for us that God will give us the opportunity to tell people his message. And so we always should be talking about prayers for opportunities to share with friends and loved ones and people we care about, about what Jesus did at the cross. We pray for them to accept, and we pray for that life-changing moment where they are made anew and they become part of this mission as well. 
And you know what happens when we pray for these opportunities? Because this was the greatest lesson Beth and I took from Omaha. When we're praying for people in that way, we start seeing opportunities everywhere. You ever notice that? When you're really spending time in prayer, when you are really connected to the vine, as we're taught in John 14, we start to see the world through God's eyes. And all of a sudden, things that we didn't notice are right in front of our eyes. Do you know how many times I've been to Omaha for shopping and for going on dates and for going to basketball games for my sons? A lot. And you know what I was always told when you go to Omaha? Be careful about certain places in North Omaha. You ever heard that? What happens when you're actually there and you see it with your own eyes? I see North Omaha a whole lot differently than I did before I went on that trip. When you pray for opportunities, when you pray for God to use me, be careful what you pray for because you may be put in that position, but that's a wonderful place to be. Pray for those opportunities because you'll notice that there are needs all around us. Prayer makes me more aware. When I start praying for friends and family, when I start praying for people who I come across, I start seeing their needs a lot more closely. I start to get more concerned about the people I work with. I start to get more concerned about the people who are in desperate need. And it allows me to see little by little my heart continuing to change and continuing to grow. So here's the first thing I ask our life groups to do. Here's the first thing I ask you to do in your close relationships. Devote your time to prayer for those around you. Devote yourselves to prayer. Number two, reach out in love. I want to share two verses with with you. One is from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And 1 Corinthians 5.12. What business of, is mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And 2 Corinthians 5.14. Whatever we do, It is certainly not for our own profit, but because Christ's love controls us now. You've all heard this cliche, although I think it is a fundamental truth of life. People don't care what we know until they know what we care. So why are we doing this? Why are we even talking about reaching out to our community? Why don't we just focus on us? We have plenty of people in church here today. We've got this place almost full. There's plenty of us already here. Why are we focusing so much on not only our community here, but the broader community outside of us? Why would we do that, we may ask ourselves. And I believe we do this for three reasons, and they're simple. Number one, we have the greatest news in the world to share. We have the greatest news in the world. If one of us were to find a cure for cancer tomorrow, don't think that that wouldn't be lit up all over the world. We cured cancer. But what if we've got something even bigger and better than that? What if we truly believe and know in our hearts that we have the purpose for our lives and we have the key to eternal life? That's the good news. And it says that we're supposed to share that good news. That's why we go out and reach out to our community. And this good news is simply this. None of us were created by accident. We were all made by God, and he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And we are made and built to last forever. And God wants us to live forever with him in eternity. But here's the thing. He wants us to get to know him here on this earth. 
And so Jesus Christ comes to this earth so that you could get to know what God is like, so that I could get to know what God is like. And Jesus died on the cross and paid for all of your sins. He paid for all of my sins so that everything we've ever done wrong is completely wiped out, completely forgotten, completely forgiven. And he, through that, he gives us that purpose for living in our present. And he gives us a home in heaven for the future. Now, how good a news is that? Exactly. It's great news. And so we should have the excitement to want to share that with everybody we encounter. That is the good news. It's the best news in the world, and everybody needs to hear it. And at some point, I want you to think about this. At some point, someone in our lives did that very thing for us, didn't they? Now, maybe we were kids, and that came from our our parents or our grandparents. But I would venture to say that there are several people here where that didn't come from home. That came from a fellow believer who reached out to you in love. They shared the gospel, and you made that commitment. That happened to you. You were once on the receiving end of that. And now you go from the receiver to the giver. That's a big why. The second is, out of a heart of gratitude, if God did nothing else for me from the rest of my life on, I know this, I still owe him my life. I owe him my life just for the fact that he's forgiven everything I've ever done, And he's given me the security of a home in heaven. And he's given me a purpose for living in the now. And he's helped me with so many challenges and problems that I've faced in my life. And so everything I do, I do out of gratitude for what he's done for me. That's why I want to reach out and share. That's why I want to grow this community. Because of the gratitude of what God has done for me. And the third reason that we reach out is because the Bible simply says God is love. When God comes into your life, you start more and more loving other people. And here's a question I think we all have to really ask ourselves honestly. If we don't truly love others, do we have to challenge whether God is really working and really alive in our hearts? Because that's where it begins. 1 John 4 simply says God is love. And you can't have something as big as God come into your life and not change you. All of a sudden, I become less selfish, I become less worried about myself, and I become more concerned about the world around me. And so that's why and that's how I reach out in love. I love what Rick Warren had to say about this. It kind of sinks it very nicely. He says, you know what is sharing of good news? He defines it as this. He says, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And that's about it. It's one beggar, me, (laughs) and my brokenness, telling another person, here's how you have eternal life. Here's where you find (laughs) the eternity that you're seeking. Pretty cool stuff. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, and here's one last thing I want to touch on before the next point, it's not my business to judge those who are not part of the church. Now, here's where we've got to kind of really talk about this for a second. When we're talking about that, here's how it looks to me. If my kids do something in our home... Beth and I have the responsibility to deal with that, don't we? We've got the responsibility to respond when they make a poor choice or they're doing things we don't want them to do. But I've always believed that if somebody outside my family is doing something, while I can gently coax, it's really not my place to discipline someone else's child. Would that be fair enough? My responsibility should be, I got a few people nodding their head like, well, I I wouldn't mind doing that. But, But you know what I'm getting at. There's a comes a time and a point and a place where I lose my ability, since they're outside my family, to discipline them or to take care of it myself. 
And I guess I look at it like that in terms of my interaction with people who are not believers. I cannot expect them to act like Christians when they're not, can I? And so my first responsibility is to remember where they are at this moment in their life. And while I can take a stand and say something is wrong, I'm not going to judge them to the point where I want to cast them out. My hope is that I see what they're doing and I have a chance to create a relationship with them so I can show them a different way. But at this point, I simply can't judge them and cast them aside. I lose an opportunity to witness them if I simply judge them. And that's the warning that we're given here. Don't expect people outside the church to act like inside the church. But here's something very important. And this is going to be a whole other message coming later on in this series. That's very different for how we interact when we have an expectation for each other. The interactions among us in the church is a lot different than our interactions with those outside of it when it comes to calling out things that we need to call out. So that's to me what it looks like to reach out in love. Number three, expect God to act. Expect God to act. You know, I had to catch myself this morning. I was talking to um, uh, one of our um, members here this morning, and I caught myself almost saying this. In fact, I started using this language. I can't believe that God has, and then I had to stop myself. Here I am preaching on this point about expecting God to act, and I'm already going down the language of, I can't believe God did this. How cool was this? I can't believe, I had to stop myself. How many times do I truly believe that when I pray, that when I step out in faith, God is going to act? And we have to believe as believers that when we pray earnestly and when we pray constantly and when we're tied to that vine, there is a time when God says, I will act. Now, he may not act on our timeline, but he promises us that he will act. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. One of the greatest ministers of the 19th century was a man named Charles Spurgeon. He was the pastor of the largest church at his time in London, England. And he'd often speak to 10,000 people on a given Sunday. And this is before all the modern technology. This was before microphones. He's just talking to a congregation of 10,000 people. Amazing. And many people came to know Christ through his life. And one day a young man came to him and he said simply this, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't understand. Whenever you talk to people about the Lord, they always tend to open up their lives. They always tend to share. They always tend to give. And then they, they, they tend to accept Christ. He said, when I talk to people about the Lord, nobody's ever interested. Nobody comes to Christ. And he says to Spurgeon, what's wrong? And Mr. Spurgeon looks, looked at him and he said, young man, you don't expect to see Jesus Christ. You don't expect people to see Jesus Christ every time you talk to them, do you? And the guy said, of course not. And Charles Spurgeon said to him, that's your problem. You get that? <laughs> that's your problem. When you interact, when you pray, do you truly expect God to show up? Not every person comes to Christ the first time they hear the good news. Sometimes people have to think about it. Sometimes they have to process it. But here's the thing. We don't have to feel the pressure of converting somebody right there on the spot. Sometimes it takes time for someone to make a decision. I believe if a person is intellectually honest, they'll make the right decision over time if they consider everything. But in the meantime, we simply take the time to build the relationship, to grow, to speak truth into their life, and to care and love them just like Jesus loves us. And here's the point I want to share with you. If this hits really close to home, don't ever, ever, ever give up 
on anybody. Don't ever give up. Don't ever get discouraged. There is nobody truly hopeless when it comes to accepting Christ. We, our calling is simply to, to do this. We trust God. We plant seeds, and we continue to water and grow as much as we can. So if there's that person in your life, maybe it's a spouse. <laughs> maybe it's that spouse who's not here with you today. Maybe it's one of your adult kids. Maybe it's a close friend, or maybe it's your mother or father, and you just haven't been able to convince them to accept Christ yet. Don't be discouraged. Don't get down and never give up. Continue to pray. Continue to love. Continue to give. Continue Continue, continue. Here's the thing. I know very few atheists. I don't know if you know many atheists. I truly don't know many actual atheists who flat out say, I don't believe. And here are all the reasons I don't believe. But here's what I can tell you. I know a lot of people who want nothing to do with the church. I know a lot of people like that. And you know why? Maybe it's because they've been hurt by somebody. (laughs) Maybe it's because of a frustration of something they happened and they saw it was wrong. Because guess what? We're all humans too, aren't we? We make mistakes. We can hurt people. And so people see that and they project that all in the entire church and they say, I don't want anything to do with that. Or maybe they simply say, my life is great right now. I got everything I need. I got everything I want. Why do I want to step out of my comfort zone? And so maybe their hearts are apathetic. My suggestion is this. We just continue to love, we continue to guide, we continue to pray. I've learned one thing over the last year and a half by doing several funerals already. It's inevitable that when I do a funeral, I'm going to interact with at least one person who is a member of that family who has come to that gathering when I learn about that family member we're going to honor and celebrate. I know there's always at least one person in that meeting who's probably far from God at that moment. Maybe more than one. And I know that my funeral message, my eulogy, is going to have a lot to do to help convince them and guide them. And and I hope my words are able to bring that gospel message. But do you know what's just as important as the words I say at the funeral? It's the time I take in interacting them in preparation for the funeral. I want them to see that I'm giving them my time. I want them to see that I'm giving them my care, and I want them to see that I'm giving them my love, because my message is going to tell them something, but my actions are going to show them. So I treat every funeral, as sad as those moments are, and as difficult as they are to go through with any family, I see that as a ministry opportunity, because I know somewhere sitting at that table talking about that loved one who is now gone is someone who may be far from God. And I want them to see in my actions the real love of Jesus. I want them to see that. So that's important. Item number four, tell your stories. Now, this is where we had some leadership training last week, and I know where this might get a little uncomfortable. Not everybody's comfortable with telling my story. And one key thing about it is make sure that you're telling your story, not telling your story, all right? And here's what that means. If you're 30 minutes into telling your story and you're still only seven years old, you probably are telling too much. (laughs) And that can really wear down a group. So here's what I would suggest. I want to start with 1 Peter 2.9. It says, you are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. One of the most powerful ways that we can share Christ is by showing and telling people what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. 
Don't ever discount the power of your individual story. Be prepared to share it. Be prepared to celebrate it. Be prepared to be proud of it and hopeful because of it. And here's what it might look. Here's a very practical suggestion for life groups. Each life group begin with this. Have one person or one couple, if it's a couple's group, have one person per meeting take 15 minutes or less and tell their story. And here's a great guiding question. This has worked well for us over several years. It's a simple question, but boy, you start thinking about this for the week as you get prepared to tell it. It can be quite significant. Think about this. And this would be a great challenge whether you're in a life group right now or not. Spend the week thinking about this. What are the five most significant moments in my life that have led me on my, on my spiritual journey? What are the five significant moments that have led me on my spiritual journey? Because here's what's interesting. You know what I never hear when people talk about their big five? I never hear someone say, man, that, that year that Nebraska won the national championship, that was the most important, one of the five most important moments of my life. That shopping spree I took with a bunch of my friends, that had to be the most impactful thing that ever happened to me. Now, I'm making a little bit of light of this, but here's my point. We have daily interactions where we talk about pretty superficial things, don't we? (laughs) But when it comes to actually identifying what matters most, those things sort of get kicked to the side. And we start diving into some really deep stuff. And I want to share this with you. I have heard many, many stories. We've been a part of a life group. That life group split. We added new people. And we sort of just keep, have kind of kept multiplying. I want to share this with you. I bet I've heard at least 20 different stories. And I want to share this with you, and I want to give you this encouragement. There's not one story that I've heard where somebody in one of their five, if you want to use that model, where somebody did not have at least one of them be deeply painful, deeply hurtful, deeply impactful. Could have been a loss. Could have been a broken relationship. It could have been a poor choice. It could have been all three, and that's sort of the whole story revolves around the things and the challenges that they've overcome. What I want to encourage you to do is this. In authentic community, do not be afraid to share what's deepest inside of you. Because every one of us has been forged through the pain and the struggles of this life. And not only have we been forged by those factors, more importantly, we have been revived by Christ. And that's the beauty of the story that we tell. Yes, I went through this. But here's how my faith in Christ got me through it. Here's how my faith in Christ made me stronger. Here's how my faith in Christ grew me. And I want to share one last thing about this telling of stories before I move on. And it's simply this. When I know somebody's story, it bonds me to them. I understand them better. Oh, I remember you shared that happened to you uh, when you were in college. Or that happened to you early in your marriage. Or that happened when you went through that with your child. And because they have shared how that's impacted them, now I better understand their whole life. And it brings me closer. It brings us closer together. Can you imagine having seven or eight people in your life where you have that kind of a bond? And the final thing about the telling of our stories, and it's so critical, when those stories get shared, make sure the only people who hear those stories are the people in that room. There's a confidentiality to when we share openly and honestly. When we become vulnerable with somebody else, we have to know that we can trust that those conversations 
bind us together, but then they stay with us. Only you have permission to extend that story beyond that group that you're sharing with. But I think it's such a key piece to tell our stories because as as the Bible tells us, our stories are our ministries. Our stories are what attract people to Christ. Sometimes we, you and I, are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And our stories are a powerful, powerful part of that. My last point is this. As we begin to reach out together, the last thing I want to share is we represent Christ with our lives. We represent Christ with our lives. The Bible says, whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative, a representative of the Lord Jesus. If you ever want a guide to how to walk and talk and speak and interact with people, keep that verse in your mind. We are to act as representatives of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a huge calling, but it's what it's the, it's, the, it's the bar that we set for ourselves. We need to be audiovisual Christians. We walk the walk. We talk the talk. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. We live our lives in that way. We share our lives in that way. And we communicate and we demonstrate that very thing. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Do all you can to live a peaceful life. Take care of your own business. Do your own work. If you do, people who are not believers will respect you. One of the worst ways that we can harm our ministries is if we somehow don't show that Christ, show Christ in our work ethic at work, if we don't show that interaction with people that we meet day to day, everything that we do represents Jesus. And so here's what I want to share with, uh, with everyone to close us. Every one of us has been sent and is being sent on a mission And some of us may not know what that mission is yet. And and none of us can know what that mission is going to look like a year or two down the road. But what we are going to do is we are going to invest in the capacity to build each other up. To build a community within Whiting Christian Church. So that this community together can make a greater impact on the community outside of our church. That's where we're heading. So as we begin our life groups, as we keep building community... Let's keep the mission fully in front of us. Our mission through our life groups, our mission through this whole study is, number one, to grow us spiritually. We can all grow spiritually. Until the day we leave this earth, we can continue to grow spiritually. But then beyond that, it's to expand our reach for the kingdom. And that's our purpose. And we continue to strive for that every day that we meet, every day that we gather, every day that we pray and work and walk together. Will you join me in prayer to close this morning? Father, you have given us a mission in this world, and that mission is simple. We are to share your good news. We are to share your love with other people. God, you call us to love you and love our neighbor. Thank you that we don't have to do this alone. Thank you that right now as we share, you're going to give us your words, your wisdom, and your love as it fills us as we head out for this week. I pray that you would raise us up with a heart to change the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.